Welcome to the Tech Podcast, and in this episode, we have a very special guest interview. It's Mr. Paul Scanlon, who is CTO of Huawei's carrier business, and he's interviewed by Rohit Tawar Fast Future. In this episode, we hear about how 5G is more than just faster connectivity on your mobile phone and more of an enabler for future technologies like cloud, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things. Over to you, Rohit and Paul. Hi, I'm Rohit Talwar from Fast Future, working with Huawei to explore some of the technologies and ideas that are shaping the future, and also how do we prepare ourselves as governments, as businesses, as individuals, and as society as a whole for the kind of disruptive technologies that are coming our way. So I'm delighted to be here with Paul Scanlon, the CTO of the carrier business for Huawei, to really go into a bit of a deep dive as to what's coming next and how we can prepare for it. Paul, welcome to this podcast. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be uh, interviewed, especially here in MWC, and um, I look forward to uh, your questions. (laughs) Let's start by what's going on now. What are some of the most exciting trends and emerging ideas that we're seeing in the technology space that you think could have a big impact in the next couple of years? You know, when we started uh, 10, 12 years ago in developing standards for 5G, so it took about 10 years from 2009 to 2019, uh, obviously what everybody heard is, you know, 5G is faster, lower latency, lots of connections. But we never really talked about two other things, and one of them is really about the green 5G. We're calling it green 5G, but it's really about how 5G can uh, improve energy consumption, yes, energy utilization. And the second one we never really talked about was how 5G can really improve efficiency across all industries. You know, we just think of it as smartphone. Smartphone is faster, it's faster and everything else. And the reason I wanted to start with that one is because there's a lot of hype about 6G. And for many reasons, yes. Well, just think about timing. You know, 10 years to develop this and we start rolling it out. But 5G rolled out very quickly. 5G was adopted very quickly because of an ecosystem. So sort of to answer your question in a different way, the first thing I'm excited about is that there are so many vendors, yes, with so many different makes and models of devices, 5G devices. And that happened much faster than in 4G. And because the third thing we tried to do in 5G was architect 5G for industry, this suggests that we have huge opportunities in industry to transform them. So when you're asking about what the future trends and everything, what's exciting, is two years ago, I couldn't promote healthcare at home, couldn't promote education at home or collaboration at home. I just couldn't do it. But now it's normal. It's a behavior. Because of this behavior, it's also allowed 5G to be adopted more quickly. So what I'm really excited about is the next five years, before we start thinking about what 6G is and what it's going to do, is how do we apply this 5G technology with AI and cloud because they are essential components. How are we going to improve healthcare, education, manufacturing, agriculture, food? That's what excites me. So you might say, well, that's not the future technology trend because it's actually right here. It's how do we make it happen? That's our challenge. I'm really interested in what you've just said about the application, both to kind of consumer experiences, but also to to businesses and industries. Do you want to just give a couple of examples, one from each space, as to 
the kinds of things then that 5G will enable in the next couple of years, yeah. both in the way I live my life, but also in the way I run my business. All right. So let's take uh, pre-pandemic. I have a very good friend in the, um, in the health industry, and I was just explaining to him how in China, because of the pandemic, the necessity for China to first build a new hospital in 10 days, Huawei puts 5G in three days, and then within two weeks, we have cloud-based AI in that hospital. So from start to finish in one month, you've got an advanced hospital. So first of all, it can be done. That's, that's what's interesting. But at that time, why, what were we deploying and using this AI in cloud with 5G? Why did we do it this way? Well, back in the early days of the pandemic, there wasn't mass testing. So the only way to know was to take an X-ray, yes? So when I mentioned this to my colleague in the health industry, quite a senior director, and he said, Paul, and he's a doctor, you don't understand. I want to take the x-ray and have a look at it myself. I'm not going to trust that AI. And I want to see you as a patient. I want to touch and feel you because, you know, I, that, I know that skin condition. Fast forward to now, 1,800 hospitals in China all adopt that. Fast forward to now, you're quite happy to use high-definition video to talk to your doctor. And he says, move to the left a little bit, show me your eye. I, I know the problem, right? Or... I don't know the problem. Hang on, press the button and the AI analyzes and says you've got this problem, right? It's become behavioral norm at both the consumer level and also at the specialist level, yes? So they're examples of what 5G with AI can do. And the reason you need these two together, and cloud just makes it more efficient and a bit of marketplace. You know, you can, you, you can invent the technology, put it on the cloud. I can be in Zimbabwe and I can use it, right, for $1.50 an hour. That's what cloud helps you do. But what the 5G does is it allows efficiently to collect information, data if you want to call it, from people and things, the IoT bits, and put it up and have a very cost-effective way of storing it and a very cost-effective and rapid way of analyzing the data in ways that we wouldn't have dreamt. What's really become an interesting trend is from days when we had to program it all back, you know, 40 years ago, we had all the algorithms for AI. We just couldn't really use them because it was too expensive to collect the data, store it, and manipulate it. It took too long. But today, we can do that in 15 minutes. And I don't have to write the XML or the Python code anymore. I can take pictures of all the flowers here, drag them up and say, this is carnation, this is daisy, this is daisy. And that takes me a few days, maybe. And then show a picture of a flower to the AI and the AI says that's a daisy and that's a rose and that's a carnation, right? With 99.999% accuracy. Pretty easy to do and I didn't need any programming. I can show you how to do it in 15 minutes. So that also is revolutionary, right? We've gone from having to have complex programming to now visual and audio, audible um, components that we can just almost drag and drop. So if we now say what else excites me about the future, these things are available now in a platform form. Before it wasn't, before you want to do this, okay, we need a big consulting department, we need to hire the right company to come in and help us do this transformation. So these are all available as a platform. 5G is a platform. The AI in cloud is a platform. So these things can be applied to any industry. You ask some industry examples. Two of them were in already in, uh, in the health industry. I gave you some examples, but you know, remote healthcare or high definition video, yes? We have concepts where you, you, you need to get data to understand whether you're sick or not sick, right? I mean, doctor can look at you, but 
there's only one doctor and there's 10,000 patients. And if you look at the pyramid, one professor, a couple of professors, a few specialists, more doctors and GPs, and it just goes down and they've got to cover, you know, 100,000 population. With AI, it goes the other way, right? Because suddenly the AI can do all of that that these guys cannot. So we're now getting expertise to many. That's efficiency, right, of healthcare. Healthcare for the masses. So if you take that, that step, why can't we then you know, extrapolate this across all boundaries, yes? So from healthcare to education. A large component of this is video. Now I just mentioned a video, high definition for everything. VR glasses, everybody's talking about VR glasses, showcase, everything's nice, etc. We've barely deployed any VR. How many schools are still teaching the normal way? There's more information on the internet than any teacher has in his head. So I don't mean disrespect, but you know, practically you can find a lot of information, right? About a lot of topics. So if we have immersive experience using VR glasses and AR glasses in a school or in a university or college environment, then access the facilitate the facilitation is done by the, the lecturer or the or the teacher to engage you know social interaction and all these others and also guide which topics and according to the syllabus but the content come everywhere if i want to really see what the olympic stadium looked like you know in, in 896 or 986 whichever it was um how do i do that well i put on the glasses and there it is and there's a person who's been you know studying it for the last 50 years of his life and is the real expert and now every school kid knows exactly what it is and he's going to show them and, and i've seen these practical examples where you know two years ago three years ago i've worn the glasses and suddenly a gentleman behind me is saying can you please step off my map and there underneath me is a battle happening in the city of turin and then when i turned around to this guy he puts his hand out and he's the curator of the museum in turin and he's real and it's in real time i'm sitting in london he's in turin I'm thinking, this is fantastic. And he puts his hand out to shake. And okay, it's almost virtual. It, it's very good. You can't feel him, of course, not with the current technology. But then he says, would you like me to show you around the museum? But first step off my map. So you've touched on a couple of technologies there that I think are really central to the conversation. You've touched on AI quite a lot. And we know already that we blow the minds of citizens, of politicians, of ordinary businesses in terms of just what AI can do now. But Let's kind of take a step forward next few years. How do you see the capabilities of AI evolving? So not so much the type of deep neural network or whatever we're mm -hmm. using, but what might AI enable us to do in three, five, ten years' time that we really need people to understand now so they can prepare for it? All right. I mean, there's a lot of hype about autonomous vehicles. Yes, since you know, it's better to have a topic that everybody can relate to, and. I can recall uh, several years ago, and I had uh, most of the top automotive manufacturers in the room, and it was not such a large room, perhaps half the size of this thing here. And I said to you know one gentleman, I said, I presume your autonomous vehicles don't crash. Absolutely not. And I presume your autonomous vehicles don't. That's right. Absolutely they don't. So it's fair to say if this whole room had your cars and your cars, everything would work perfectly. Absolutely. So the problem I have is that you crash into me and I crash into you. So if I'm the government, regulatory policy, maybe I should revoke those licenses and, and you, know, you can't have those registered vehicles because they're not autonomous, right? There's an example, okay? So there's a bit of policy in just understanding a few things, but where is the future of this autonomous stuff going with some technology? We have some very neat heads-up display. You've probably heard about Huawei's Harmony operating system and what Huawei's trying to do inside a vehicle, yeah? So 
you know, a classic example would be that the car manufacturers today, they make the engine, the chassis, the drivetrain, etc., the wheels, yes? But the car of the future, which is actually now, has batteries, power management software, uh, servers, storage, 5G and IoT modules, yes? And it needs an operating system. Well, we make all of that. So that's why we call it Huawei Inside, yes? But we've also mentioned that we have this heads-up display and well, what is it? Because this is not, not quite deployed in mass yet. It's just here. So in the next two to three years, what do you see when you see the heads-up display? In my current car, I see the speed and you know whether or not I'm, I'm over or under the speed limit and things like this, maybe a copy of the map. But what we have here is because of all the sensors in the heads-up display, I can see whether it's a person or not a person, how far the person is, he's crossing the road, whether he's on the side, the AI can look at the person as he's moving and whether he's likely to step out on the, from the curb or not because he can show me that based on data that's, that's developed, yes? As you're moving through the traffic, you might say, well, what can AI do? Well, I can see through the cars because my car is connected to your car, is connected to the 20 cars in front and I know precisely what's going on up ahead there so I can make some intelligent decisions now. The Google Maps will show you that the road is congested and make a suggestion, oh, I'm going to turn here, do you want to accept this route or not? But AI-based capability can take, can be aware of the environment because the, the Google Maps only looks at data coming from all the cars. But here we now can take data from around us, from our surroundings, and integrate that. And that's what AI is doing in an example of a heads-up display. So not I can see the map, I can see the route, I can see the people, I can see the cars, I can see it's a 50-ton lorry coming this way and I should probably not be so game as to duck around the roundabout, right? Those sorts of things are where, where the AI is, is heading towards. If we look a little bit further in the future, and we have examples in our future zone where using very high frequencies, you know, the frequencies we're considering for 6G and things like this, we can sense things. So the sensing component, which we've never really talked about, a little bit tricky to figure out the use case. I mean, where the money is in the use case. Technically, we can do it. But can you imagine that if I want to see what's inside the box, I don't need to open the box? Yes. Just think about that. If I don't want, because of infectious diseases, I don't want to put the blood pressure monitor on you or the heart rate monitor or... And light can just be reflected off you. And from that, I know your blood pressure, your heart rate your breathing rate. If the optics that we've developed for optical fiber, because you know we're, we're putting hundreds of gigabytes now, over 120 frequencies, we call it lambda, your wavelengths on a fiber optic cable. You imagine the sensitivity of these, um, of these optical devices. Now we can apply these optical devices to water pollution. We can apply the optical devices to air pollution. In the very near future, we don't need to take tests to know whether or not we're infected because it's going to happen because we're going to have sensors that are going to be able to measure the molecules in the air and say, well, that area over there, that's got COVID and that area is not, right? And the reason it's got COVID here is because of this, yes? Just as we're using things like satellite imaging and drone imaging to detect where most likely there is dengue fever or malaria as examples. So they're sort of where the future is sort of in the next two to three years, just an example in autonomous vehicles, and where we're moving using different technologies that we've used in, whether it's 5G radios or whether we're using it in optics, yes.
for things like storage, you know, where are we heading? Because, you know, the biggest challenge we have is we're moving from a couple of gig per month, per day, to 600 gig in a few years. I think, well, where am I going to store all that? How am I going to store that efficiently? You know, we started at the beginning. I just made a quick comment about efficiency and energy. In data centers and, and cloud infrastructure, the biggest cost is operating costs, and the biggest operating cost is electricity. One of the things that uh, we're seeing around us a lot now is, is this conversation about immersivity, metaverses. And what we're seeing is businesses at one level understanding that they probably ought to be doing something. At another level, they're seeing mind-blowing things happen like Ariana Grande doing a concert with 78 million viewers in Fortnite. And then we're seeing a whole generation of kids growing up who live their lives inside Fortnite, yes. uh, Minecraft, robots. Yes. And they're going to be the consumers of the future. So we know that there's a commercial opportunity there. But what we see is a lot of businesses not quite understanding why they need to be there, but knowing they have to. How do you see that kind of whole immersive experience evolving from just pure leisure? And, and how do you see the kind of nature of that evolving over time? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of the CEOs and, and business leaders we work with hate the idea of their staff wandering around looking like farm animals, but, but being the service front for their organization. So how do you see yeah, all that evolving? This is a really great question. Um, and the reason I say it's a great question is I just bring it back down to my own, my, one of my, my sons, yes. And he's a Fortnite gamer. And we have some challenges in that respect because it's quite addictive. But, you know, there's many different games and they have different levels of addiction. But, and I was a bit concerned about it. But then I remembered reading an article quite a few years ago where when games were first coming out and uh, in the Air Force, the choice of selecting pilots at that level is actually those kids who used to play lots and lots of gaming because they were so aware, spatially aware, and could, we'll say multitask, but you know, they could really use their hands, hand-eye coordination, brain, all of that had developed. So that suggests that even using gaming concepts, because you specifically asked about those, has an application in industry, as opposed to just that component of industry, which is monetizing gaming, yeah? if you understand my meaning. So now the last part of your question, or last part of your, your question, I guess, was we've got all these people that are running around like farm animals. So our challenge is as these technologies are evolving and the opportunities, you need to explore them, all right? So one component I'll say is, what does Huawei do? Huawei doesn't just sit back and say, oh, you know, we don't have chips, so we better start doing something, right? If you looked at our fundamental research and, and our processes, we try to always find intrinsic, so spend money on intrinsic R&D, beyond silicon, graphene, okay? Material science, as opposed to, okay, yes, we do have alternatives for chips and things like this, right? But there's a lot of areas. So the first one is intrinsic. The next one is how can you apply those to all sorts of different industries? So look beyond your own narrow focus and, or horizon, look beyond the horizon. The next part is about the transformation. Many companies say, okay, we're going to have a transformation program. All right, set up the meeting, Paul, in a month and invite all the department heads. Okay, let's have a brainstorming session. Okay, good. When's the next meeting? After a month. What's going to happen? Okay, we need to bring in the consultants. Right, you write an RFP. That'll take six months. You know, a year's passed. It's too late. In Huawei, transformation happens all the time. 
Even my boss would always say, okay, you did that last year, but what's new for this year? What's new? What are you going to work? You know, everybody's encouraged. You're competing with me. I'm competing with you. You're in HR. Now you're in sales. You're in sales. You're in R&D. You're in R&D. You know, we mix all this up to try and give everybody a lot of different perspectives so that everybody becomes aware. So why I think this is important is because it's all about experiences. And I think that's terribly important to try and, uh, you know, educate people if you haven't experienced it. Because if you experience it, perhaps you'll fear, perhaps you will not fear. But usually if you experience it, you don't fear. So one of the things that we're seeing right now, Paul, is it's become very fashionable to talk about wicked problems in business, in society, and particularly around things like systems change. So whether that's big system thinking around how do we really take carbon out of the atmosphere, how do we solve our energy challenges, how do we create some smarter manufacturing. Do you want to just take us through some of your ideas around how all these clever technologies could really be used to tackle some of those systemic challenges? Yeah, so I, I like to think back to uh, when we were trying to make a spanner or a wrench in a spacecraft, yeah? So how do you do that when, you know, the spanner you need is down down on the planet and you need to do it up there? Well, you download the, uh, you know, the 3D printing file and they make it out of a reusable material in the spacecraft using 3D printing. So then I just look at this great conference we've got here in MWC and, uh, you know, there's two coffee machines over there and there's a whole bunch of, uh, of coffee cups and everybody uses them once and throws them in the bin and we're expecting that that's going to be recycled. But even if it is being recycled, we still need the transport company to come and, you know, pump more carbon dioxide in there and pick it up and go there and spend more energy. But what about if we had a 3D printer here with renewable material and um, every time somebody came in here, you press the button and, you know, in a minute, not only you're waiting for your coffee, but the coffee cup as well, right? And when you're finished with it, you put it back in and we're actually recycling on the spot. So we're creating on the spot and recycling on the spot, right? Manufacture those sorts of things. And that then leads me to think about other systems type problems or system type opportunities. And the one you mentioned about carbon capture and even, you know, why have we not been able to deploy carbon capture technology? People say it's expensive. Well, it's not expensive, actually, because, you know, you just add it to the cost and you spread it out over everything. Yes, there's a capital cost, but, you know, where it's manufactured in one company, country, perhaps there are other countries that can manufacture it for less. Perhaps if the components of that were more available or just as we've seen with vaccines, or maybe we don't take royalties or we take a much lower royalty in the IPR component because it's for the good of mankind. Yeah, so a couple of these types of thinkings. But let's take a, a very, an example I've been thinking about, which is kelp requires carbon dioxide. Hang on, we've got carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Well, why wouldn't we capture that carbon dioxide? Maybe in a kelp farm, start pumping it in there and generating protein for the future, whether it's for livestock or whether it's for humans or replacing all those cups there yes or plastic bags using products like this so then i think about well how do we generate the energy for this is it solar because it needs should be renewable right then you you have a systems not problem but you have a systems environment where all of these things are dependent on each and the key is well how big solar farm for how much water how much kelp how much carbon dioxide you know and the cost of all these things before i have both a profitable business sustainable sustainable profitable sustainable from environment yet profitable and the reason I, I mentioned those two maybe wacky ideas is because I'm thinking about how do we reduce all the components the touch points 
Yes. So in the example, the first example of the coffee machines and all the people wanting to use coffee cups and all those sorts of things, how do we reduce all the touch points? Why do we have to manufacture it over there? You know, the components come from country A and they go to country B and they're manufactured and they're shipped to country C and then we deploy them here and they're, they're delivered by company C, the company D, to recycling plant maybe, which can or cannot, you know. Why can't we sort of do that in a, in a sort of more closed environment at point of care or point of sale, right? As an example, point of consumption. And then here I'm thinking from the, the other picture of the kelp farms or carbon dioxide, just as an example, how do we make that industry the people and all those industry components be packaged. So whoever's running them, operating them, you know, your job of the future is doing things like this. Well, where is that? That's not necessarily in the city. So if you think about all of these components, you could distribute a lot of that stuff, which means you still want to live in the country, you know, country house in the UK, lovely, right? Rather than travel and commute to London all the time to do this. In the and so now you have different opportunities for people and that comes back you know their, their employment their talent the development of talent what do you want to do in the future beyond the conventional maths physics science english you know whatever yeah do you, do you see what i'm heading because we're sort of you mentioned about the metaverse and those other and the immersive technologies if you want to do all those things then you need the environment to be able to develop yourself or the colleagues around you to start thinking in that way and I think that's one of the concepts, perhaps, of the metaverse, yes, of where you've got this immersion, and because of this immersion, you're able to, it will certainly broaden your mind, okay, because once you see all of those things, you get the idea that, oh, hang on, you know, all the young kids, and even some of the older ones, are going to start thinking about where the new business, the new opportunities are. Maybe they don't think of it as a business initially when they're kids, but they see it as something that's interesting, and of course, that's what, that's what you, you follow through on. So... These, these are things that excite me. You know, we didn't touch on quantum. We didn't touch on other, other you know, terahertz-capable things in 6G. But some of the things I see in the embryonic um, testing that we've done in 6G, you know, we're using a couple of gigabits per second. Yes, today, maybe the base station today is about 20 gig. Can you imagine 10 times that or 100 times that? Yeah. Remember, if we're going to be consuming 600 gig a day, somehow it's got to be you know processed the throughput stored and all those sorts of things we have very clever technologies that can store beyond a blu-ray disc a hundred times a thousand times more just as examples right so we have we're using a lot of optics optics generally uses less energy than radio and others so what really excites me about new technology to the future is that and huawei certainly has this is a you know generation upon generation of improvement in efficiency specifically energy and that comes back to any very first question you know we need to educate everybody on how it is can you imagine having an application on your phone that tells you immediately oh i should run the dishwasher between 6:45 and 7:45 because that's where not the energy is the cheapest but that's when the majority of the energy in the grid is coming from renewables well that now means we need a closed loop you know this system thing from the energy creator, generator, transport, all the way to the consumer. But wouldn't a better way be if everything was AI aware or the information was AI aware with, without data privacy issues so that the washing machine automatically turned on at 6.34 today, but tomorrow it's at 7.14, for example, and we didn't have to worry about those things. Yeah? Or I think I better turn on the aircon or start the car half an hour early because it's gonna be pretty cold and get the ice off it. Well, hang on, you know, all those things are connected. 
And that's where this application of these technologies is. It's, it's actually available now. Pretty much everything I've said is available now. The challenge is how to take it and prove that to the people who make the policies that these things can be done. Yeah. And, I, and I, that comes back down to this, you know, my final statement, which is really about education. You can call it um, regulation, but I like to think of innovation and then collaboration. And you can't do any of that without trust. And so without those components, a lot of the things that we're trying to take these technologies to revolutionize society and industry and our economy become very difficult. That was Paul Scanlon, CTO of Huawei's carrier business, talking about the need for more education, collaboration and trust in order for us to reap the societal and economic rewards of these so-called wacky ideas and technology. Paul also gave us some fascinating predictions about how these technologies that we experience today, from remote education to immersive gaming, are just real-life examples of these technology-driven improvements over generations and generations. And it will be these revolutionary platforms, as he puts it, that will help us address the major global systemic issues like carbon reduction. And for me, that's huge. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Tech Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe now so you don't miss out on the next one. Until then, see you next time.